Well, it's once again a ple- pleasure to be here with you this evening in the worship of our Triune God together as we close this Lord's Day in public worship. I want to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to this evening's text in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Uh, John, chapter 19, which takes us right to the heart of the gospel event, which is the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will consider verses 23 through 27 this evening. I'm currently preaching on evening series back in Duluth to the beloved congregation of the Lord there on the seven things of the Lord Jesus from the cross. Many of these words you will be undoubtedly familiar with, uh, these words that are recorded for us across the four gospel records. The words which Jesus spoke in his dying moments while hanging on the tree. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Then turning to the thief on the cross, Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Then Jesus says the words we are about to read in our passage this evening, looking at his earthly mother Mary and then to the apostle John, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. And as the afternoon goes on, as Jesus' humanity, both body and soul, descend deeper into the abyss of desolation under God's holy wrath and judgment, the experience that is emblemized physically by the darkness that descends upon the whole land from the sixth to the ninth hour, uh, Jesus lets out a series of cries My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Jesus says, I thirst. Then with a cry of relief and triumph in extreme weakness, Jesus says, it is finished. Then before he breathes out his last, he says and prays to God, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Christian believers are to glory in and to ponder, and to study, and to resolve to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. It is because it is at the cross of Christ that you as believers behold the glory of God most clearly. The cross of Jesus Christ is a supreme and splendid display of what God is like in his glory. The message of the cross is the wisdom of God and the power of God, the cross reveals to you the immeasurable greatness of his love towards you. And the cross is the place where you see what God is like most clearly. And these words from Jesus' lips uttered from the cross exegete for us the meaning of the cross. And they bring us to see the glory of God as our Savior and as our covenant Lord and as our shepherd And that's why we turn this evening to one of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. So with that introduction, let's hear God's word for us this evening. We'll consider verses 23 through 27 in John chapter 19, with our focus particularly placed upon Jesus' words addressed to Mary, his mother, and to the beloved disciple, the Apostle John. But first, I'd like to read um, additional text, uh, three verses 
from the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 6. And I'll read verses 12 through 14 as a prelude and a preface to our study this evening. Uh, This is the prophet's vision of a man uh, in the temple with a crown. The man who will combine in himself both the offices of priesthood and kingship, and the man who will build the temple of the Lord. So let me read uh, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, before we get into our text this evening. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold a man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build a temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build a temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord. And let us turn to John chapter 19. If you glance up to verse 5, uh, you'll see that Pilate unwittingly takes upon his own lips Zechariah's prophecy that we just heard from Zechariah chapter 6. John chapter 19, verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then jump down to verse 23, which begins our main text. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister married the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, the disciple John, standing nearby, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then Jesus said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Amen. Thus far this reading in God's word, let's once again look to our God in prayer and seek his help and blessing. Let us pray together. A great heavenly Father, we give you praise this evening. Uh, you are the God who reigns over all things, the God who sets your eyes upon your beloved people, wherever the congregations of your beloved son gather, uh, you are truly with us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as the word of God is opened, you would, by your Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds and understanding 
into the knowledge of your Son. We pray, Lord, that Jesus Christ uh, would be seen as the glorious beloved Son of God in whose face we see the fullness of your glory and pray that our eyes will be opened in the preaching of the word we would be uh, given health and life uh, through a renewed vision of Christ and in his glory. So bless your flock, we pray. Uh, Break open the bread of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is hanging on the cursed tree uh, with a crown of curse upon his head without any garments on in order to bear our shame and guilt away, in order to provide us with garments of salvation, in order to undo the transgression of Adam, which brought death into the world, in order to save sinners whom he set his love upon from all of eternity, the beloved Son of God is being lifted up, not just emptied of his divine glory, but stripped naked. His last bit of earthly possession, his garments, divided into four parts, taken away by the soldiers in utter shame, in utter humiliation. In the lowest moment, we see that the Lord Jesus' mind is set on his earthly mother, Mary, who is sitting, who is standing by the cross uh, with her sister and with Mary Magdalene. Jesus, as he hangs upon the tree, is looking upon his earthly mother, and this is the very moment prophesied by the old Simeon at the temple. If you recall the scene recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, as the infant Jesus was brought in at the purification, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God, for he had seen the salvation of God. And the old Simeon prophesied how Jesus would be a child of destiny, appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, appointed to be a light for the Gentiles, and on account of him, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And in Luke chapter 2, Simeon adds this one last bit to Mary, which surely would have remained with Mary all her life. Simeon said, a sword will pierce through her own soul as well. And this is a very moment prophesied 33 years before, as Jesus, her firstborn, is nailed to the tree to be executed. A sword is piercing Mary's soul with unimaginable sorrow and anguish as mother. Every mother in this room can relate to something of that pain. And in this moment, Jesus speaks a word of tenderness and care, a word of love and compassion towards his widowed mother in distress. Jesus says to her, Woman, behold your son. And turning to John the disciple, Jesus says to him, entrusting Mary to his earthly care, Jesus says to John, Behold, your mother. I want to ponder these words of Jesus with you, and there are four things that I want to consider with you this evening. I want to think a little bit about, first of all, Jesus' perfect obedience that we see in this passage. 
And then secondly, about Jesus' deep love for his mother, Mary. And then thirdly, Jesus' unwavering commitment to the family. And then fourthly, Jesus' unique task laid upon John the disciple. Jesus' obedience, Jesus' love, Jesus' commitment to the family, and Jesus' unique task for John. Uh, First then, consider with me Jesus' perfect obedience to God the Father. This is the Lord Jesus in his dying moment, fulfilling the fifth commandment perfectly, both the letter of the commandment and the spirit of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' whole life is marked by doing the will of God the Father. Jesus' life was a commandment-obedient life. And as the weight of this world's sin is crushing upon Jesus, he is nonetheless still fulfilling and keeping the fifth commandment in seeking to honor and care for his mother Mary in her need and distress. In his own agony, as all hell is breaking loose upon his soul, when unimaginable throbbing pain is pulsating through every fiber of his body, as Jesus himself is about to descend into the abyss, his heart is still fixed upon keeping God's law and living by God's precepts. Uh, He did that as a 12-year-old boy, Luke tells us in his gospel account, submissive to his parents, and he does that here again at the moment of death. Jesus keeps the law perfectly in order to be the savior of sinners. And if you think about that commandment that Jesus is fulfilling on this occasion, as he thinks of the needs of his earthly mother, it is the fifth commandment. But what is significant about the fifth commandment? This is a commandment that comes with a particular promise of blessing. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you in the land. Jesus, the sinless man, is keeping that commandment to perfection. Yet it is not going well with him. It is not going well with him on the cross. His days are being cut short. He is being cut off from the land. And why is that? Because Jesus is receiving the curse in our place for all the breakers and transgressors of the fifth commandment so that we sinners may receive the blessing and the well-being and the inheritance in the land, which Jesus himself has earned by human obedience and by human merit and by his perfect righteousness. So that's the first thing I want you to see in this word, Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father. And you need to behold your Savior because he is your righteousness. And secondly, I want you to see Jesus' deep love for his mother Mary. Jesus says to her, woman, behold your son. Now notice Jesus doesn't call his mother, uh, Mary his mother. Rather, he addresses her, woman. This is not the first time Jesus addresses his mother, woman. Don't do that, children, to your mother. Uh, Jesus did the same thing, incidentally, in John chapter 2, at the first miracle at the wedding of Cana. Jesus called uh, his mother, woman, my hour has not yet arrived. 
This form of address is to highlight that although Jesus was physically the firstborn of Mary, yet Mary's deepest connection to Jesus would not be one of blood, but one of faith. Jesus is her son, yet he is also her savior. Woman, behold your son. And Jesus is looking after Mary's physical and earthly needs, making sure that she will be taken care of long after he's gone. And Jesus says to her, Behold your son, John is going to be looking after you. He will be a son to you, and I will not leave you without care. Jesus is full of compassion and love, just as our God is a God who looks after the widows and orphans in their distress. And yet, there is something of a double entendre, or a double meaning here, which John employs frequently in his writings. Yes, Jesus loves his mother and cares for her, yet I want you to see that there is even deeper love for Mary that Jesus Jesus expresses when he says to Mary, Woman, behold your son. The double entendre that Jesus uh, employs here uh, is that it's not just John who will be your son after I'm gone that you need to behold, but you need to behold your son who is dying for your salvation. I am laying down my life to procure forgiveness of your sins. In love for you and for all my people, I'm hanging on the cross. And woman, you need to behold me You need to behold your son. That's what your soul needs the most. In this hour of abject distress and pain, all the more, behold your son, Jesus the Christ. And Jesus, in a profound sense, is addressing Mary's greatest need, her spiritual need. You need to behold your son. Woman, I am the promised seed of the woman, dying in order to give you life. The son of the woman, born of woman, born in order to die. That's how Jesus expresses his deepest love for his mother Mary. He ensures that Mary is taken care of physically. He entrusts Mary's care to John, the, the disciple, But deep down, Jesus has something greater for Mary in his love for her. And the exact same is true for each of you this evening. When the Savior's word comes to you in the gospel individually through the preaching of the word, you need to behold the Son, the man born of woman on the cross, behold Jesus Christ and him crucified. And whenever your soul is led to do that, Do you know that this is an expression of God's love for you? The deepest expression of God's love for you is to bring you to the one, his beloved son, whom he has sent into the world. And as he is placarding him before your eyes, the death of his beloved son 
as your Savior and as your salvation, the same word of God tells you, behold, the son of the woman. So that's the second thing I want you to behold. Jesus' deep love for Mary, and by extension, Jesus' deep love for you in the laying down of his life for you. And here's the third thing I want you to see, and the third thing is Jesus' unwavering commitment to the family. Verse 27, Jesus turns to John and says, Behold, your mother. Here, Jesus is establishing a new relationship. From this point on, John, Mary will be your mother who you need to take care of and honor. And Jesus is entrusting Mary in the hands of John. Now, the Bible emphasizes and never minimizes the importance of the family in the purposes of God. We have a covenant God. We hold to covenant theology. Our God is a God who works familiarly through families. I will be a God unto you and unto unto your children. He is a covenant God who promises to visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him, but also a God who show steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. The gospel never dissolves the natural family ties. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his, of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you do not take care of the family, the word of God is saying to you, that is an affront to the gospel and a contradiction to your professional faith. You can never use Christian service as an excuse for neglecting family. There's no such thing as using God as an excuse for neglecting the family. Well, in his supreme service unto the Lord as the servant of the Lord, Jesus is showing the tenderest care and compassion for his mother. Then the question arises, why then does Jesus entrust his earthly mother to John and not to his immediate family? We know that from Mark, uh, we know from Mark chapter 6 that Jesus had at least four brothers, all of whose names we know, and at least two sisters mentioned in the plural, at least six siblings Jesus had in his home growing up. Then why isn't Jesus turning to his natural siblings for the care of his earthly mother, but rather entrusting her to John? Well, it is for the simple reason that his siblings were not near the cross on that occasion, both literally and spiritually. They were nowhere to be found near the cross. They were, in other words, unbelievers. In fact, John chapter 7, verse 5, earlier in this gospel, we are told that his brothers, Jesus' brothers, did not believe in him. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ understands 
all the family dynamics that a Christian believer may have to face on this earth. This is such a comforting reminder to some of you, particularly in this holiday season, in your family get-togethers with unbelieving members of the family, that the Lord Jesus understands all the dynamics within your family circles and within your own home. Jesus understands the challenging duties some of you have of the care of an elderly parent. Jesus understands the hostility of unbelieving siblings or grown-up children who have gone astray. Jesus understands that uncomfortable tension and division that exists in your own home, in your own family circles. He knows even what it means to lose a parent. Surely by this point, his earthly father, Joseph, had died. Mary was a widow. The Lord Jesus understands every single family situation that a Christian believer may have to endure in this life. He knows the experience of bereavement. He knows the arrangement of a funeral. He knows what it means to be at a deathbed scene in the family living room and the subsequent loss of family members. He understands all the family dynamics. And without nullifying the natural family tie, Jesus is giving a greater responsibility here to John, who is his spiritual family. He gives his people in the gospel an even greater family. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are truly brought into a family that is even greater and more full of love and tied with stronger bonds than flesh and blood. Do you remember that scene at the end of Mark chapter 3? The crowd came to Jesus and said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus said in response, who are my mother and my brothers? And Jesus answers actually his own question and says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and my mother. The church of Jesus Christ is truly a family. It is a family of the Lord Jesus. Do you look upon this body of believers as such? Do you look upon each other as members of the household and family of God? This is your spiritual family, Jesus' family, and you belong to that family. This is one of the peculiar blessings of the gospel that you are brought into when you believe in the Lord Jesus, that you have become brother and mother within the household of God and the family of Jesus. And so Jesus uh, turns to John and tells John, Behold, your mother, here is your mother. Take care of her. Take care of her. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is. As the love of gospel abounds in this place, the more of that spiritual family ties endure and emerge and become stronger. One of the traits of family who love each other is actually wanting to be with one another. When you look upon the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ gathering, it is not a natural phenomenon, but as the love of the gospel is poured out, 
you have the family gathering in the worship of your heavenly father and in the worship of your heavenly elder brother in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we behold here in Jesus' words his commitment to the family, both natural but all the more spiritual. Then fourthly and finally, notice how Jesus has a specific task laid upon the disciple John. We read in verse 27, at the end of that verse, from that hour, from that moment on, John took Mary to his own home. John, from that moment on, sought to be faithful to the task that Jesus specifically called him to. The Lord Jesus assigned to each of his people specific callings and tasks. For John, for this season, it was the care of the widow Mary. For John's brother, the other son of Zebedee, uh, the brother James, it was martyrdom, being put to death with a sword in Acts chapter 12. For Peter, it was something different. For Mary, addressed by the angel in Luke chapter 1 as the favored one, it was first giving birth to and then raising Jesus and then going through the unspeakable experience of seeing her firstborn crucified. And so for each one of us, there are unique tasks and situations and callings that the Lord lays upon you and Jesus gives in his sovereign purpose and providence unique callings to his own people. That means Jesus also has something for you, something unique for you, something only you are called to do by which you are to glorify the Lord Jesus. It may not be something that you choose. It may not be something pleasant. It may not be something you naturally want to embrace. In fact, it may be a thorn in the flesh. It may be crosses. But he has tasks and callings for each one of his people. And so by his help, as you seek to be faithful to that situation and calling, he gives grace and help, grace and strength to enable you to serve him by which you may bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. It may be something none of uh, us can discern. Maybe a hard burden. And John was faithful to that task, and you surely have that task and calling from the hand of your Savior. Well, that's a question only you can answer. Whatever situations, duties, crosses, the Lord in his good pleasure and wisdom chooses to lay upon you. You need to be faithful. And the God who is your shepherd promises to give you his everlasting help and uh, encouragement and strength to enable you to do so. And so as we face all the challenges of life in this world, as we seek to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, our response is to say with Mary, as he did, as she did, in response to that original angelic announcement, I am the servant of the Lord. Uh, Let it be to me according to your word. 
that is what the disciple of the Lord Jesus uh, responds to, whatever the Lord Jesus brings to you. So these are four things that I want you to see. But let me finish with this concluding and overarching thought. What are we exactly at the end of the day meant to see in these words of Jesus toward his earthly mother? Well, at the end of the day, the thing that you are meant to see is simply this. Jesus Christ is a perfect revelation of God. And his words reveal to you what God is like. In Jesus' care and compassion for his no doubt bewildered and grieving mother Mary, we do see and discover what God is like. The God who is full of kindness and gentleness and compassion. The God who looks after the distressed and takes care of his people in whatever situations here on earth. Indeed, we see the fullness of God revealed perfectly in the Lord Jesus. Oh, that's what we confess. That's what you have come to know. That Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. But let me give you, as we finish, a related thought and flip that thought around and say to you tonight that there is no unchrist likeness in your God. Even as Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, there is no unchrist likeness in God Himself. There is not another God lurking behind Jesus. What you see, Jesus, is exactly who God is. Jesus who laid down his life in love for you. And he's saying to his mother, behold your son. And through the preaching of the gospel, he's saying to you, behold your God. That's the most needful thing for every disciple of Jesus and every sheep of the flock. And the question is, are your eyes fixed upon him to gaze in his face, the fullness of the glory of God shining into his soul? Well, may God help you to do so as you come to his word in the power and blessing of the Holy Spirit. And let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for the glorious fullness and the riches of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he has come to reveal to us who you are. And so through Christ, we come to you afresh with reverence and awe. We worship you and we proclaim your greatness and seek to encourage one another uh, with uh, your glory as has been revealed to us in the gospel. Enable us to be uh, your people, tied in the bonds of love, in the unity of the Spirit. We pray that the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus would abound in this place and give your people a life-giving health from above uh, through the ministry of the Holy Word. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.